Shiva Samarambam Shankara Charya Madhyamam Asmada Charya Paryantam Vande Guru Paramparam Ishvaro Gurudmeti Murti Beda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Deaya Dakshinamurtaye Namaha Sarva Vedanta Siddhanta Gocharam Tamagocharam Govindam Paramanandam Sadguru Pranatosyam Ishwara. Karma Yoga is love of Ishwara. Bhakti, Karma Yoga is Bhakti Yoga. There was a guy, a famous teacher named uh, Vivekananda. You may have heard of him, Swami Vivekananda. He was a disciple of uh, Sri Ramakrishna, who was a famous Indian mystic. From the 20th century, and uh, he wrote. Uh, he came to America. He was an aristocrat. He's an upper caste, upper class Indian, and he was invited invited in 1895 to come to America and address the Congress of World Religions in Chicago. It was a world event, the spiritual world, held in the United States. And he was meant to give a keynote address uh, because he represented India. And India, of course, has been the world's spiritual superpower for a long time. So they wanted some big swami to come and and uh, address it. He gave a famous speech, which they shall talk about today. And while he was in the States, he visited Queen Victoria in England, and he would, uh, you know, he went around the U.S. and so forth, giving talks. And those talks were made into uh, a series of books, small book booklets. In fact, the thing, the my first uh, awakening was uh, went was in San Francisco, and I went to a bookstore, City Lights Bookstore in San Francisco, the famous bookstore. Been there for a long, long time. It was started by a famous poet named Lawrence Ferlinghetti, and he, uh, and that was not just a literary bookstore, but it had spiritual literature. And I, I don't know, I just wandered in there. I was a kind of stoned businessman, hippie type. And, uh, and uh, this book, I, I reached up and picked this little book up and, and I opened it and there was a book on Jnana Yoga. 
and every cell in my body started shaking. And I, I read, just read a little bit. Every, every cell in my body just started shaking and vibrating. I had this amazing epiphany because I realized there was such a thing as truth and that people knew about it and people were writing about it and that, that, that there was actually a whole culture of India which you know knew what God was and were comfortable with the whole idea of God. It wasn't. And he wrote, he gave a number of talks on bhakti yoga, on karma yoga, on jnana yoga, and on raja yoga. There were four books that came out. And uh, one of those books, uh, and, and he, he was responsible for a, uh, a diversion from the tradition because he said that he, the Indians were a li little insecure uh, because Freud and the West was there was a big intellectual ferment in the, in the West and there were a lot of great thinkers in the West in England, America great philosophers and poets and scientists and so forth. Around the turn of the last century was like the turn of this century. There's a lot of change, revolutionary change taking place in the world. <laughs> but the big guy was Freud. And Freud in, introduced to a modern world, to the material world. After, since the Industrial Revolution, you got a middle class started to develop. Before it was just wealthy people, aristocrats and serfs. But when the Industrial Revolution came, it created a middle class. And uh, the middle class uh, people had a, an aspiration, a desire to know God. And they had a desire to know their psychology because nobody was really thinking about psychology before Freud came along in the West. Although India had had psychological knowledge for thousands of years, uh, in the West nobody was deep, no nobody had time to look at their psyche. People were just surviving, and they had to work hard, and they just had to do their duty, and they didn't have time to be neurotic and screwed up and psychological and all that. That's all relatively in the last two hundred years, last hundred, yeah. 150 years have people been so psychologically disturbed as they are. And that's a consequence of the Industrial Revolution and the wealth and the leisure that has been given us by technology. Technology robs us of our spiritual power. Uh, it, it makes us weak. And we don't think and, and it makes us uh, it makes us uh, in self-indulgent because when you start getting wealth, then uh, the next thing you seek for is pleasure. And when you seek for pleasure, you your mind gets uh, soft and weak. 
And as you can see now, luxuries have become necessities. People can't function without their hair dryers and their electric toothbrushes. They wouldn't know how to brush their teeth with a regular toothbrush anymore. I mean, it, it's not quite that bad, but it's just about that bad. You know, they <laughs> they can't wash their hand, they can't wash their laundry out in a in a sink with some soap and hang it on a on a twig to dry. They have to put it in a washer and a dryer, and they have to have little little cute little pieces of paper that keep the static electricity so they don't cling and they and, and they have to have a special kind of soap I know because they're afraid it will irritate their sensitive little skins and uh, and at the same time they can afford to be really stupid because there's no consequences for being really stupid because why somebody will come along and give you a food and a place to stay and you feel huh you can survive in the old days, you couldn't afford to be stupid because you'd die. There was war, there was famine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You, 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 it kept your mind sharp. Okay? You know, when, you, when there's adversity, you have to be alert. You have to pay attention. You have to think. You have, now we're just like big blobs of matter, you know, like... You don't have to think. We just sit in front of the TV and absorb all this stuff. We're just totally fascinated by entertainment and so forth and so on. So this was the age of psychology started up, and Freud introduced the idea of the unconscious mind to the West. In fact, the guy that made the money out of it for the corporations was his nephew, a guy named Eddie Bernays. Eddie Bernays taught Freudian principles to the business community. And that's why the business community knows how to manipulate you. It knows what your cause of body are and what your relationship to your desires are and how weak people are. And it knows how to suggest things and cause you to buy things. And you don't even know you're doing it. We're all being manipulated here like crazy. And we've been manipulated for so long, we... Uh, we become, we've lost our moral power and our moral strength. Anyway, so Vivekananda was he was he was impressed by the West because the West was developing materially and uh -huh, they were gaining power and wealth, and India was lagging. India was like dirt poor, you know. Billion people, it wasn't a billion then, but at that time, you know, 30 million or 50 million, 100 million people, they didn't have a pot to piss in, except the aristocrats. The aristocrats were extremely wealthy. They were as wealthy as the wealthy people in the West, but that was only a, a fraction of a fraction of 1%. So they kind of envied uh, the West and admired it. And so when he came to teach Vedanta, he compromised the tradition and he said he he made a psychological <coughs> he he made a psychological designation that doesn't belong in Vedanta, and that became the the that became known as Vedanta. In fact, the traditional Vedantins called it New Vedanta. And the reason it was new is because it isn't in the tradition. And that was what he said that. 
that jnana yoga, which is what we're doing here, like jnana yoga, jnana yoga is for what? For people with good intellects. And that bhakti yoga was for emotional people. And that karma yoga was for active people. Huh? Right? People who, so the emotional people, they did bhakti yoga. The intellectual people, they did yana yoga. And, and uh, the active rajasic doers, they did karma yoga. That's what he said. And he created what's called the multi-path confusion. Hmm? Multi-path confusion. Huh? That means what? Your path is determined by your psychological nature. But what's wrong with that idea? We're all the same design. Huh? We're all the same. Yeah, design. we're all the same design. Everybody's everybody's got a doer, an active doer. Everybody has feelings and everybody has thoughts, don't they? So if I just develop one part of my subtle body, I don't have the subtle body chart here, but if I just develop one part of my mind, then the other two parts of my mind are going to be what? They're going to atrophy. They're going to become undeveloped. And I'm going to be a lopsided, unbalanced, untogether person, aren't I? And I particularly taught to explain this because bhakti yoga huh, is not a path. <laughs> Why? Because the point is that, huh, that bhakti love is behind every action. So the what is called bhakti yoga is actually the rituals and, and the practices, huh, the ritualistic practices huh, that, that are, can, are classified under karma. They're karmas. When you chant the name of God, that's karma, isn't it? When you pray, that's karma, isn't it? It's manasa karma. We call it manasa karma. Pray is a, is prayer is the use of your subtle body to make a, you know to to propitiate a deity to ask for things. Let's say. So all the activities that are called. Bhakti yoga are actually karma yoga, are actually karmas. They're not special actions because uh, karma is your, love is your nature. It's the nature of everybody. So how could you have a special path for that? Understand? Now, and we see this today uh, in the yoga ashrams. Because they tell you that, you know, you must uh, do seva, that seva is karma yoga. Well, seva can be karma yoga, but if you do seva, what? To what? To further your own, what? Sense of virtue. And you're told that, what, you're going to exhaust karma by doing seva. That's not karma yoga. That's how these ashrams get rich. You know, Baba Muktananda sitting on a golden throne. Right in the, the temple with the gold and all around and so forth and so on, and and what and a huge amount of wealth that comes into these ashrams because huh, these people are giving free labor and they're told that's going to set them free. Well, Vedanta says you need all the yogas because you've got all the parts. 
everybody, as you say, everybody's got all the parts. You've got a physical body, so you need to do hatha yoga. In other words, you have to do physical yoga. You have, to, you have a doer inside you for the doer. That's karma yoga. You have a feeler inside you. That's what for your emotional development. And you have a thinker inside you, so you need to... All those should be integrated into one yoga. There should be integral yoga. They should... Huh? In other words, yoga should integrate all the parts of your psyche, not separate the parts of your psyche. So if the parts of your psyche are separated, you're going to, it's called V-yoga. V-yoga means you're out of balance or you're out of yoga, and then you're on. And then there's a conflict because all of those, those functions in the inner center, in the subtle body, all need to be harmonized and work together. And yana yoga should sit at the top uh, because jnana yoga is what? The knowledge of who you are. And that should be guiding your motivation. In other words, so you need to develop bhakti for, as you do in the next stage, which is vipassana yoga, for what? For knowledge of Ishwara. Because once you've done your karma yoga, your mind is what? Your mind is capable of what? understanding why because it's clear and balanced and it's dispassionate it's the karma yoga has created enough sattva so that you cannot inquire and enough sattva so that you can uh, retain the knowledge of who you are and so you can practice discrimination see how the proper see how it works in stages now most people in the west they just huh they don't know care about karma yoga Huh? They, they think, oh, that's karma yoga is not very sexy. What's sexy is yana yoga. So they get all fascinated by the yana yoga. And they don't clean up their emotional problems by doing the karma yoga. And then they get the knowledge that I'm the self, and then they discover later on, what do they discover? That their emotions are still what? undeveloped and that their emotions are ripping off the pleasure that comes from yana yoga yana yoga produces tripti tripti means what perfect satisfaction because the fruit of self-knowledge is perfect satisfaction perfect satisfaction that's called moksha moksha is you're perfectly satisfied with what with your body with your mind with your emotions, with the world, and with yourself as everything is. You don't want one thing to be different on any level. That's what the knowledge should, why? Because the knowledge is I'm the self, and what, what's the self lacking? The self's not lacking anything, so, so uh, why, why wouldn't it be satisfied with everything? It certainly would, wouldn't it? So, karma yoga, we, have, we haven't quite finished this, because we talked about karma. So, we have to go through these stages. Can't jump to yana yoga because you like yana yoga and avoid the karma yoga because what? Karma yoga is going to, what? It's going to be, it's, we call it uh, desire and anger management. 
Because unless your your desires your desires are under control, your anger is under control, huh? The knowledge is wasted on you. This is why normally we don't give you the knowledge first. It's very difficult. I I you know, I'm I'm doing something that's kind of radical. Is giving the knowledge to people that aren't actually fully prepared for the knowledge because they haven't done karma yoga properly. And then later on, they come to me and say, hey, this it's all self-knowledge, but I'm still a jerk. <laughs> or they say, oh, I know I'm <coughs> self, now what's next? <laughs> huh? Huh? What's next? I know I'm not a doer, I'm the self, so what's next? That means they don't know they're the self. Huh? The doer has survived. And the doer still thinks there's something else to do. Well, when you realize you're the self, you, the, the statement, I'm not a doer, means I'm the self. And if you are the self, then you don't, you're not a doer, and you don't, and you can do, of course you can, as a self, you can do, with the help of Maya, you can do. But there's no reason to do, unless you feel like you enjoy doing. So you do Join you do your doings happily or not. Either way, doesn't matter. You're free to do, you're free not to do, you're free to do something other than doing. If there's anything other than doing to do, you're free to do that because freedom has no limits or no qualifications. So this is why we have to explain the whole path here. And and when you when you become a and karma yoga is done under the with a scripture under the guidance of a guru. What? Well, why do you need it? You, you hear the guru and the scripture become the boss at the karma yoga level, right on up to the top. You need a guru and you need a scripture, which is why so few people who are ready to for Vedanta. Because they don't want to turn over control of their life to what? To the scripture, to Ishwara. They want to stay the boss of what they're doing. Huh? They want to decide, I'll do this and I'll do that. But that's not the point. The point is to neutralize the doer, to negate the doer, not to retain the doer. Understand? Now, only a mature person can what? Can actually surrender. That surrender is called bhakti. Huh? Why would you, why would you surrender? Because you ha you have implicit trust in Ishwara. You actually know that what the scripture says about Ishwara is true, and you see the guru as an instrument of Ishwara. That's what this chant is. Sarashiva Samarambam Shankara Acharya Madhyamam Asmat Acharya Paryantam Vande Kuru Param Param Then, next verse. Ishwaro Guratmeti oh, What does that mean? Murti Deda Vibhagine Vyomavad Vyapta Dehaya 
Dakshinamurtaye Nama Ishwaro Gurat Meti. What does that mean? The Guru is Ishwara the Atman. Oh. So the Guru, huh? You have to take the Guru as Ishwara, as the Atman. Ishwaro, Guru Atmiti. What does Atman mean? The Atman means the self, your essence. The self is what's essential. The self is, is as, as your consciousness, your existence. Your existence, your consciousness is the Guru. God is the Guru. Ishwaro, Gurat Meti. And who is this Ishwara guy? Who is that? It's not the guy sitting in this chair. Morti Beda Vibhagine. Morti means what? Has no form. Without, Beda means without duality, no Beda and no form. Morti Beda Vibhagine. Vibhagine means without. Without any form and without any name. So James here has got a form and a name. So that James is not the guru here. Understand? That's why you can't blame James. If you're judging James and criticizing James, you miss the whole point. Because James is not the guru. Ishwaro is the guru, and Ishwara is what? Has no name and no form. Ishwaro gurat meti. Murti Beda Vibhagine. Vyomavad Vyapta Dehaya. And what is it? It's beyond the earth and beyond space. It means it's beyond matter. Because uh, earth and space are what? The subtle and the gross parts of material. The material world is what? Space, starting with space, it evolves out into the earth, the matter. Murti Beda Vibhagine Yoma Vadhyaptadeya. What is that? Dakshinamurtaye Namaha. It's that God, quote unquote, this is a poetry now. This is this is a metaphor. It's that God that, that that's facing south. <coughs> Dakshinamurti means the God that's facing south. Now what does that mean? If you're looking at the south, where are you? In the north. What's the north? Where everything is frozen. The north pole. Right? The north pole, everything's frozen. What does that mean? Everything's still and unchanging. It's that one who's looking out from the unchanging stillness. The unchanging stillness of awareness on what? On the south, what's at the equator? Everything's going south all the time. What? Everything's changing. Everything's dying. It's that part of you that looks at the changing part, the dying part. There's a, some part of you that's always dying, and there's another part of you that lives forever that's unchanging, isn't there? That's a guru. Murti Beda Vibhagine. Sarva Vedanta Siddhanta. Next last last verse. Uh, Siddhanta means the, the import, the meaning. The meaning of Sarva, Sarva means all. The meaning of all the teachings of Vedanta, Sarva Vedanta Siddhanta, <coughs> what? Gocharam Tamagocharam. 
is beyond what you can see and what you can't see. Gochera means what you can see with your senses, beyond perception and what? And beyond inference. Inference is a logic to use to reason from perception, from a perception to what? Knowledge. You look in the rearview mirror and you reason that there's what? There's a car behind you. That's called inference. This self is beyond perception and inference. Murti beta vibhagini vyoma vadvaptivya diksha nimurtayapa sarva vedanta siddhanta gocharam tamagocharam govindam. Govindam means what? The one that keeps the light. This is where the light of awareness, this guru is the light of awareness. It's called Govinda. Go means light. Govindam Paramanandam. Anandam means what? Bliss. Anda means end, and Ananda means what doesn't end. What doesn't end is bliss, blissful. Huh? Now this is not just the bliss you get from an object. Because when you get an object, you get bliss, don't you? You get an object you want, you get bliss. So that's anandam. That's anandam. That's bliss. But what? This is paramanandam. This is anandam that what? Doesn't begin and doesn't end. In other words, the bliss of your existence. In other words, the guru is what? The self. It's the self speaking. Do you? And that's how you need to take these words, not as the words of a person. You'll know when James is jumping in and making jokes, okay? You know that. And I'm not embarrassed to be James. I don't need to pretend that I'm the self, because I am the self. I'm actually pretending that I'm James to keep you comfortable. I mean, you're pretending to be ignorant to give me something to do. <laughs> did that did that change the can you check the framing there? Uh, it's okay. It's okay. So so when you when you take a when you when you when you commit yourself to freedom, to moksha in this tradition, huh? then you have to, <laughs> you get the scripture and you get the guru. Now you need a guru, why do you need the guru? Because the tendency for self-deception is immense. <coughs> this is why dead gurus don't work. <coughs> dead gurus do not reveal your self-deceptions. In fact, the fact that you, when you ask a dead guru some question, Am I, should I do this or should I do that? You don't get an answer. You assume that it's okay. <laughs> Whereas with a dead, with a living guru, they will tell you. And you may not be wanting to hear that answer. So people stay away from living gurus for that reason. Unless they're low, they have low self-esteem and they want somebody to boss them around because they don't have the confidence to what? <coughs> to run their own lives. Now, in our tradition, we don't want you to, we don't want to run your life. 
we do not want to control your life. That's a, the crazy, first of all, you can't do it anyway. And secondly, we wouldn't want to do it. What? We want to give you the tools to what? Turn you into your own guru. In other words, you should be controlling your life using this knowledge. So all we do is give you the knowledge, the logic, huh? explain the teachings to you, and when it becomes yours, then you take charge. If you're asking me what to do, it means you haven't understood the teaching. You haven't taken responsibility to what? To, to manage your own life. You say, what should I do? Should I <coughs> marry this guy? <coughs> should I take this job? Should I? Um, just all the practical stuff. <coughs> well, if you're clear about what you want, the decision will be made for you by Ishwara. Isn't it? If you're clear about what you want. So karma yogis need to be clear that what? They want moksha. And that karma yoga is what? Is a step, a preparatory step. <coughs> it prepares you for moksha. It's like kindergarten. Now, Kindergartens, this kind of kindergarten's not easy. <laughs> Why? Because you're always at war. Your ego's always at war with its desires, isn't it? Because here your ego's not committed to getting its desires. It's committed to getting a moksha. And it realizes that the obstacle to a moksha is what? Its desires. Not just... Uh, not just its desires, but the whole problem starts with desires. There's a beautiful verse in the Bhagavad Gita. It says, Kama, Kroda, Loba, Moda, Mada, Matsarya. It says, when you got desire and you try to satisfy your desire, you set yourself up for a, a whole list of raft of problems. When a desire is obstructed, what do you feel? Anger. Right? When you're not getting what you want, you feel angry, don't you? Does anybody not feel angry when they know what they want? No, you feel angry. <laughs> the desire is going, as long as, as long as Ishwara keeps feeding your desire, you're happy. But then sometimes Ishwara puts a block, huh? Right? I want to turn left in, the, in my truck, and a guy gets in front of me and stops. But I've already decided I want to go left, and now a guy's in front of me and stops. What do I do? Road rage. <laughs> I get out my gun and I shoot him. <laughs> That's in America they do this. So road rage. So over a simple thing. You, you know, you want, you know, you want sex from your wife, and your wife says, I have a headache. <laughs> huh? The wife, you know, the wife says, I have a headache. Now, how do you feel? Huh? You feel happy? Oh, dear, would you like an aspirin? <laughs> no, no, not at all, right? Huh? You're pissed off. 
You you have a desire and, and the object doesn't, you know, isn't conducive and what, and suddenly you're angry. Now, when you're angry, what happens? It's hard to be angry for a long time, isn't it? Some people can manage it for a long time. <laughs> but but uh, generally, anger just keeps, it builds up, and then what? Then it collapses. Because it, it takes, anger takes a lot of energy. And when it collapses, what do you get then? Depressed. Depressed. I know about that. You know about that one too? <laughs> I'm not getting what I want. There must be something wrong with me. I must have made a mistake. It's so awful. Oh, shit. And then you go to a shrink and you say, you know, my husband and my wife and my kids and this and that. He says, oh, here's some antidepressants. What are antidepressants? Little Rogers pills. That's all they are. Just Rogers pills. They stimulate your desire, get you perky and active. Huh? You start to get a little bit of energy and you start to feel okay again. Until what? You get angry again. Then you get angry again, yeah. yeah, yeah. You get just angry, angry again. And then what? Then now you're depressed. <laughs> and what happens when you're depressed? What's next? Then you get deluded. Because you can't see anything clearly. Huh? You don't know where to go. You're totally confused. You're walking in a cloud, in a fog, in this great big Tomasic fog. And you don't know whether to go right, or go to left, or to go straight forward. And you say, and, and you're always saying, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And you call up your friends on the phone. You say, you tell them your problems, you know. And, and they tell you, of course, your friends will tell you what to do, but you say, well, I don't know if that's right. So you call another friend. <laughs> and then the other friend tells you something else. You say, oh, yeah, I'm glad I didn't listen to her, but I'm not sure if she's right either. Maybe I call another friend. Huh? So then you call another friend. huh? And, pretty, and you say you get so confused, you just, your, your whole growth, your whole life stops. Huh? And unless your life is going forward, you're not happy. Because your life should be going straight toward your goal. Understand? If you're clear about your goal, your life will just pull you along. Because Ishwara, what? It's got to facilitate your desire for to know Ishwara. That's Ishwara's job. Right? So if you're clear about it, if you're worshiping Ishwara as what? As the giver of moksha, as the, huh, the giver, they want moksha, okay, Ishwar gives moksha, that's, that's the desire, the result I want, then what? Then Ishwar is bound to give it, understand? But you need to keep your mind on Ishwar, because as soon as your mind goes off Ishwar, what? Then one of your other vasanas takes you this way or that way, and then you're off the path again. And now you got you got conflicting priorities now. Well, yeah, and then, then you start asking questions like, well, can I have a relationship and get moksha too? <laughs> huh? You know that one? Huh? Well, uh, well uh, the answer is yes and no. <laughs> the, the, answer, the question is what? Can I have my cake and eat it too? So the answer is no. 
But if you insist on having your cake and eat it too, then the way you get out of that problem is what? You do the relationship as karma yoga. And gradually karma yoga will burn up the relationship and then you'll be what? And then you'll be out of that problem and then you can move on toward your goal. <laughs> or you just get so deluded in the relationship that you forget that you're going for moksha and you write it off and you say, well, next lifetime I'll do it. Oh no, I know, I'm gonna have to, I want the moksha at death. You said there's, there's two kinds of moksha there's a moksha while you're living, and there's moksha when at death, at the time of death. So I'll take my moksha at the time of death. I, I, in the meantime, I'll party hardy, and then when I, I then when I die, I'll get my moksha then. So I'll just wait. That's, they call it krama mukti, or videha mukti actually. Videha mukti means you you because and the argument is of course that. You have to let go of your body, so you have to let go of your desires, and so without any just. But the problem is, if you spent your whole life, you know, relating to objects, the last thing you're going to do uh, is think of Ishwar at that time. <coughs> you're going to have so much attachment to your body and to your objects in your life that that attachment will just what put you into another body, and you'll have to work out the same old karma the next time around. Fortunately, Ishwar is kind. And Ishwar doesn't make you forget who you were before, so you wake up stupid with a lot of <laughs> desires as somebody else. And so you hand the problem on to somebody else is what you're doing, you know, which is not really the nicest thing to do. The nice thing to do is to take one fool out of the mix altogether and, and do, you know, do some sort of benefit for the whole, whole world. Because, you know, if you remove one idiot from the world, the world's improved. <laughs> the world's gotten better. <laughs> Not a lot, but a little better. <laughs> you know, if we could get we could get a lot of people enlightened, then the world might get a little better. But, but is that going to happen anytime soon? I don't think so. I don't think so. So now, what's the second half of karma yoga? The second half of karma yoga is right action. There's another problem that comes up with karma yoga. Because when you start practicing karma yoga, you start getting high and happy. That attitude itself is liberating. Hmm? The problem is what? Huh? If, if your situation, if your karmas, your karmic situation is not dharmic for you for a, for a karma yogi because now you're a karma yogi you no longer think i'm a samsari huh? you've you've got another identity now when you join vedanta you got another identity you're not a samsari you can't pull a samsara card on us if you say you're in vedanta you can't play the samsara card it doesn't work you're a karma yogi. That's how we see it. So now you're a karma yogi, and so you and so you take karma yoga and you get really high, and everything goes really well. Wow, huh? You take it all as prasad. You're cheerful and you're happy all the time. The problem is, you married some man or some woman, huh? Who's not interested in your stupid spiritual path at all. 
or you've got a job mm -hmm. and the boss doesn't care if you're a karma yogi or a jnana yogi or any other goddamn yogi. You know? <laughs> all, all, the, all the boss wants you, you to do is to what? Is to crank out those little, you know, those little shekels, those rupees, those <laughs> euros for him. So they, they, don't, they don't care. And there you find yourself what? You find yourself continually agitated, and then you're spending all your time with karma yoga to remove the agitation that's produced by your situation. Yeah. So the second part of karma yoga is what? Now this takes real devotion. Right? Now your dev devotion is tested at this stage. You've got to change your lifestyle. That's what right action means. You have to develop a sattvic lifestyle. You can't stay in a rajasic, tamasic environment and practice karma yoga forever because the environment will produce the agitation and neutralize the benefits of karma yoga. So this is where the rubber meets the road. It's where you got to man up and change your life. You can't hang on to your tamasic relationship to your habits. Yeah. You got to stand up to the desires that what? That are producing the bad habits. But I'm attached to my habits, right? They've given huh? See the see the problem? So karma yoga involves five practices. Daily practices. Oh, <laughs> I didn't want to hear that. Oh, I tell you all this because if you take me as your guru, then I just know. I've, I know I've told you this, and I know you know it. So I say, well, you know, I already told you this, and this is what you're not doing, and it's up to you. If you don't want to do it, that's all right, but, you know, I can't make you do it. You have to see the value in it and do it yourself. So it doesn't do any good to tell you to do it. If you really want moksha, then you need to practice your karma yoga. You need to what? Clean up your life, your messy, tamasic, rajasic life. Huh? Phew. Not a lot of fun, is it? Unless it is. When I figured it out, I just I didn't have much of a life anyway, so it was easy. <laughs> <laughs> I was very happy that I'd given up everything. I didn't have a wife. I didn't have a kid. Huh? I didn't have a job. I had no job. I had no wife, no kids, no relationships. And what? I had money in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> so I could what? I could, uh, I could give up, you know, the small things I had. Huh? I called my girlfriend. I said, uh, love you a lot, but... <laughs> I called my mom and I said mom I'm not going to take that job she said what are you doing she said I'm going to India with a swami oh <laughs> my poor mother disappointed one more time <laughs> you know I said, that's fine mom don't worry I love you and don't worry about it and off I went What are those actions? One is what? Worship, what? 
whether they, they, you can look them at them in any in any uh, order. Uh, you have you need to worship the teaching and the teacher. That means what? Pay attention to the scripture and listen to what the teacher says. That's what worship means. Daily. You, you can't let that slide. You have to worship your ancestors. What does ancestors mean? Ancestors means anybody that ha has control or power over you. <coughs> your parents. Basically, they say it's your parents. Why do you have to worship your parents? Because they gave you love. Yeah, and they gave you all the shit too, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't you have grievances about your parents? <clears throat> huh? You don't want to have those grievances because they weren't your parents. Ishwar is your parent. Twameva bata, chapita twameva, twameva bandus chasaka twameva, twameva vidya dravinam twameva, twameva sarva mamadeva deva. You're my mom, you're my pop, you're my friends, you're my relatives. You, meaning Ishwara. Tomeva mata, you're my mom. Tomeva chapi chapita, tomeva pita means your father. You're my mommy, right? Tomeva mata, chapita, tomeva, tomeva bandusha, madusha means your relatives, the people you're bound to, the people you're attached to, your relatives, your friends. Saka, tomeva saka means your friends. You're my friend also. See what you're doing? You're transferring all that dependency back over to Ishwar where it belongs. Tomeva mata, chapita tomeva, tomeva bandus chasaka tomeva, tomeva vidya dravinam tomeva, tomeva sarva mama deva deva, tomeva tomeva mata. Chapita Tumeva, Tumeva Bandusha Saka Tumeva, Tumeva Vidya. You are what? You are the knowledge that sets me free. Tumeva Vidya, Dravinam. Dravinam means my wealth. You are the wealth. You are my security, my wealth in the form of the knowledge that sets me free. Tumeva Vidya, Dravinam Tumeva. You are everything, but you are everything to me. I'm totally dependent upon you, Mama Deva Deva, my light of lights, the light of my lights. What's my light? My mind, the one that's illumining my mind. So you what? What have you done? You, you, if you've got problems with your parents, you're not free. If you have resentments, your mom was a, you know, a, a druggie and your dad was an alcoholic. Okay, they were, they were, they were rotten parents, but uh, and they did, they neglected you and they abused you. Okay, so what? Get over it. Huh? Get your, huh? Yeah, you can only say that in this room. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> huh? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can really say it here. Yeah. Otherwise, they're gonna uh, you know put me on the cross. You know, <laughs> attack me up, huh? You get over it. It's it's gone. It's past. Don't be carrying that baggage with you. Otherwise, how are you going to what transfer all of that attachment, that love, that emotion, that anger? How are you going to transfer it to Ishwara? It all belongs on Ishwara because what? Ishwara gave you your parents, and Ishwara gave them their ignorance, and Ishwara gave everything. None of it's yours. It's all Ishwara's. So, so in this stage, you you what you transfer it all, and you what you stand up to your desires. You offer your desires to Ishwar and your fears to Ishwar, and you don't just keep what acting out the same dumb things over and over and over again. You let Ishwar show you the way. You trust that Ishwar will what lead you to the next thing, and Ishwar does. It's a contract. You can count on it. But you have to have that faith, in, in, uh, that, that love for Ishwar, that trust of Ishwar, that knowledge that Ishwar is looking after you. This is a benign universe. This is a loving universe. Everything's looking after you here. This is not a threat. Nobody's out to get you. Got the wrong idea. You listen too much to the TV and the, and the newspapers and, huh? and, and all these scared people, all these frightened little worms that are out there trying to cover their butt all the time, protect themselves. You don't have to protect yourself. Ishwar is your protection. Ishwar is an in, invisible protective shield around you. It's a field of energy that nothing can get into. I figured it out when I was with my guru. It was just like being in a space capsule. I mean, nothing could, huh? Nothing could touch. Things would just come up and they'd bounce off. I thought, oh, hey, this is nice. I'm, I'm getting in this energy bubble here. huh? I'm getting on the Ishwara thing right here. Because uh, Ishwar is going to protect me from all this stuff. The scripture, the teaching, the guru, they all protect you. They're the, they're the weapon against ignorance. Hmm? Yeah. It takes it takes some kind of, you know, appreciation, some kind of courage, in a sense, to do this. Or you're just smart. Smart people says, oh, that, that makes sense. I'll go with that. And if you've tried to figure it out on your own for so long and you haven't figured it out, then, then hey, you might as well just say, you know, I fucked up, so what? That's what my ex-wife said, used to say. I'd make a mistake and I'd try to make her feel guilty and she'd say, I fucked up, so what? <laughs> well, that kind of ended that conversation, didn't it? Because <laughs> she wasn't about to feel guilty. She knew who she was. So she just, I fucked up, so what? Big deal. Not my fault. You don't decide to fuck up Ishwara. before you fuck up. You just fuck up. Means Ishwara fucked up. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so leave it on it. Leave it to Ishwara. Okay? 
Stop taking responsibility for something that belongs with the Lord. And be free. So, I, what? I worship my parents? And I, and my boss. Your boss is like your parent. If you're, if you're a little person who's doing a little job and you've got a boss, you need to treat your boss like your mother or your father. Depends on the boss, don't you? They expect you to behave like a little kid. And they just boss you around just like your parents bossed you around. That's what they do. That's what bosses do. You know? Think about it. And so you got to love the, the poor fucker. <laughs> <laughs> You can actually, you know, I there was a guy that had this problem with his boss, and he wrote me about it. He I had a talk, a long talk with him about it, and and I said uh, he had a good job and he didn't want to leave it, but he was getting fed up because his boss was such a big bully, like Donald Trump. He was a big bully, and I told him, I said, uh, take him out for a beer and make friends with him. Put your arm around him and hug him and schmooze him a little bit. And he did. And you know what? The boss started to come for him for information and laid off. He, he became a friend to the boss. And the, huh? the boss quit picking on him. Of course, the boss picked on other people, but it didn't pick on him anymore. Huh? And his problem was solved. And eventually, he got the boss's job. Nice, huh? All just, just an act of love, an act of kindness, an act of accepting, an act of, uh, of, of not like, because he said, you know, if this is, doesn't work out, I'm moving on. And then the boss realized he had a valuable person there and that, that, that all of his abuse wasn't, it was going to create a situation for the boss that wasn't conducive. So the boss surrenders. Isn't that funny? And the reason it surrenders is because the boss, Ishwar, changed the boss's mind because this guy was meant to be there. That's why. So Ishwar, huh? But he invoked Ishwar by offering the love to his boss and what? And then Ishwar took care of the problem for him. Nice. He, and he wrote me, he said, thanks a lot. That really worked. That <laughs> <laughs> was pretty simple. Huh? You love people, huh? You don't have problems with people. That's all. They feel guilty giving you trouble. So just love the shit out of them. Just love them to death. And, and, their, and their bad feelings, what will happen to their bad feelings? <coughs> they'll become aware of their bad feelings, and they'll feel guilty for their bad feelings. Because dharma's built in. Don't, don't, don't play the game. So what love of authority? Uh, what's the third one? Love of people. People. Service to humanity. Social service. Huh? Every day people come to you and they want something, don't they? And do you have time for them? Or are you too busy? To, to listen to them. They don't need to give them necessarily what they want. When somebody wants something from you, it's, it's usually they just want somebody to listen. They want to be heard. Isn't it? And you haven't time to hear them. 
Well, uh, that, that person that's come to you is Ishwara, asking for something from you. Here's an opportunity to what? Pay off Ishwara, to, get, to serve Ishwara, to give Ishwara the, what Ishwara wants. So offer. Plants and animals, environmentalism. That's Ishwara, isn't it? Love your environment. Clean your environment. Eat, eat proper food. Don't pollute. Huh? You're polluting, you're polluting Ishwara, aren't you? You're creating stress in the environmental system. And that's coming back on you and your children and everybody around you. Understand? So karma yoga involves what? These actions. Dharmic actions, sattvic actions, actions that produce what? Sattva. Any action motivated by love huh, and understanding of the needs of the field. Huh? Because why did Ishwara bring you here? Huh? Why did, what do you think Ishwara put you here for? Just to take a bunch of stuff, grab it to yourself, and then die? Is that, huh? Is that, is that why God wants you here? Is that, was that God's idea? Obviously not. Huh? Because that doesn't take any kind of talents or any kind of ability to do that, does it? God gave you special powers, special talent, special abilities. You got a purpose here, a God-given purpose here. And you're meant to contribute those talents to the world, to keep the world spinning. It's a cosmic cycle. It's not just because you love Ishwar, but because he's your creator and you value life. It's what? All the talent that you have, the brain that you have, the emotions that you have, all of those things are useful. They're part of the creation and they need to be given back to the creation or the creation doesn't function efficiently. The beautiful in the fourth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita talks about this cosmic cycle. Like, what, what about take a tree? I like the example of a tree. It's a perfect example. Because what, what, what does a tree do? It eats our shit, our carbon monoxide. Is it dioxide or monoxide? Dioxide. Dioxide. It eats our carbon dioxide. And what's it give us? Fresh, clean oxygen. Huh? Isn't it? It, yeah. it converts uh, negative energy into positive energy and offers it to us to human beings because if there weren't any, there wasn't any photosynthesis and all that going on, we couldn't live here, could we? So you're dependent upon the plants, aren't you? So those plants are Ishwar, aren't they? The trees, everybody's getting upset because down there in the, the Amazon, they're burning down all the rainforest to, to grow cattle to feed the fat Americans. Huh? And what, what are they doing then? A lot of fat Germans, too, by the way. Huh? You get all the Western, Western people getting fatter and fatter and fatter. What? Almost 40% of, of American uh, people are obese. 40%. That means what? They're taking way more than they should. Than they need to what to live. In fact, we live to eat. We don't eat to live. 
Huh? And look at what's happened to the environment. The water gets polluted, the air gets polluted, the trees get, everything gets corrupted because we're not fulfilling our, we're not using our talents and our abilities to what? To enhance the creation. When you serve the creation, the creation serves you. If you take from the creation, the creation takes from you. It's a simple, simple law. So, that's it.
You focused on the needs of Ishwara first, and then what? And then the self second. So this is your therapy. Karma yoga is your therapy. Why would you pay $100 or 150 euros a, a, an hour to go once or twice a week to a therapist who's going to tell you, pat you on the back and talk about your childhood? Why would, huh? And want to know how you felt about what your mom, mama, when your mama said you couldn't have a tricycle <laughs> or a bicycle, huh? And, and how did you feel? When you, well, of course you felt angry and you wanted to kick your mom because she was a bitch, but so what? <laughs> Get on, move on, you know? But here you are, 50 years old, you're talking to a, an old guy who's making a huge amount of money, and he doesn't want to set you free of that. He wants to just keep you wanking, 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 on, on, on about your past. Because he can see that, you know, it's putting his, his kids through college. Huh? Yeah? You think I'm cynical? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a psychologist in the front row. <laughs> no, it, it really, you know, a little bit less, I would say, because... Yeah, know, I'm, I'm dramatizing. You don't, you don't go over this deep psychological stuff, let's say torture, rape, all the things. Yeah. You don't go with your... Oh, it's Ishwara who did it. No, Fuck that's you. right. I kill you. you. Yeah, that's I'm right. Of you. I, well, you got you got the real I, you I, got the lower guys, the the real people with yeah, abuse abuse victims. Yeah, but you know, no, that that not going to work on those for those people. It doesn't either. work for them. No, it doesn't work. For and if right. you don't know that, and if you don't uh, put your focus on that, yeah, then you put a little nice cover over something. Yeah. I often ask myself, you know, how do you come to that point? If so much is in the psyche, yeah, forget it. Forget it. All this, yeah. it's nice, but you know. Yeah, Vedanta works for just mildly neurotic middle class people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's all. Huh? Let's face it. Huh? You're right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> But this is so. This is your therapy, and you should be, you know, you should be able to do your own therapy. You know, it doesn't cost anything. It does cost. What's it cost? It costs self control. You have to learn. You have to learn to say no to your ego. Not all the time. You need to throw the ego a bone. You know, like a dog. You throw the dog a bone once in a while. You give it something to chew on. But, but you don't pander to it. Every little thing it wants, you know, you give it every little thing it wants because you want it to love you. No, you have to, you have to stand up and, and manage it. Get that, that childish, that, that, yeah, that childish part of yourself, that inner child. That inner child needs to become an inner adult. And you've got to manage that process. You've got to, right. Wean yourself, wean that, wean that child away from you, and and get let give let them let it stand on its own two feet and think for itself, make itself into a, a proper mature human being. Understand? So. So.
So karma yoga is your therapy. We called it in the book, I think we called it also a burnout insurance. Yeah, burnout insurance. How did, how did you understand that? It, it keeps you from burning out. Exactly. Because if you just if you just give in to your fears and your desires, you're gonna get burned out. You you are you are. You're gonna crash. You will hit bottom. You will be miserable, I tell you. It's just, huh? It's just the way it works. So uh, you need that insurance, and karma yoga is that insurance. And you'd be surprised. It says, it's very beautiful what, what uh, Krishna says to Arjuna when he's selling karma yoga to him. Because hmm? Krishna tried to sell jnana yoga to Arjuna. Arjuna had, a, I don't know if you know the story, but Arjuna had a, an emotional breakdown. And uh, he wasn't thinking clearly. And he got paralyzed because of his emotions. His emotions paralyzed him. He couldn't act. And, uh, and Krishna thought, well, he needs to know who the self is. So Krishna told him what the self was. And told him, get off your, your, your paralyzed little butt and get your bow and arrow and go and kill those bastards. That's what he said. Stand up and fight! Fight like a man! He says, this is not, he, he gives him a big talk, big pep talk. Get him going. And Arjuna doesn't move. Arjuna's Juna's not convinced that the self is going to get him out of this pickle. <laughs> so then Krishna is very, Krishna's slick. This, this guru is so slick. He's just, uh, he's just so, it's just so cool. I just love Krishna. I, every time I read the story of Krishna and Arjuna, I get emotional. Because Krishna is just so totally cool. And Arjuna is such a good guy, and they have such an interesting relationship. And you can see Krishna like massaging his ego and working on him and doing all this sort of stuff. And, uh, and, and you, you realize there's love there. In our tradition, the, the, the relation, guru disciple relationship is a relationship of friendship. It's called Sakya Baba. It's not the guru, some big cheese on the top. In fact, in the Bhagavad Gita, what's interesting is the guru takes orders from the disciple. What? Yeah, because the disciple asked Krishna, he says, hey, would you, would you be on my side in the war? Would you fight with me? And Krishna said, I'll be on your side, but I won't fight. Because the self doesn't fight. But it has a big influence. Hmm? Understand? Self has huge influence. Krishna, Arjuna was more interested in the influence thing. He didn't really know that's what he wanted, but he was kind of surprised when Krishna said he'd be on his side, but he wouldn't fight. So then uh, Krishna asked him, What do you want me to do? And you know what Arjuna said? Drive my chariot. 
Now, in those days when they, during the war, the charioteer took all the instructions from the, the chariot, the chariot, the driver took all the instructions from the charioteer, from the warrior. The warrior stood up behind, he could see everything, and he would tell, tell the driver where to go with his chariot, because he had to avoid this particular fight, or he had to kill this particular person. And so, uh, so the guru, Krishna, was controlling uh, the chariot. It's a symbol. It means Ishwar is controlling your life, your body. And Arjuna was smart enough to put Ishwar in control of his life and his body. Huh? He didn't quite know how the outcome was going to come, but some part of him knew that if he had Krishna on his side, Krishna was going to make the difference, even though his opponent had got Krishna's army. In other words, he was out. He was outmatched materially. He, he, uh, he had less troops and so forth and so on, less resources than Duryodhana. But he had the spiritual resource uh, with him. And that spiritual resource proved to be the tipping point in the battle. So in our tradition, the, the teacher is the friend of the disciple. And in fact, we go so far as to say that bhakta bhakti man, bhakta means a devotee. And, and bhakti bhakta bhakti man means what? The, the, the guru is the devotee of the devotees. Whoa. Nice. Is that, is that what you see in the modern guru scene? You don't see that, do you? You see all devotees kissing the guru's ass, and the guru's asking, acting big, and saying, I know everything, you know nothing, and you're stupid, and this and that, and because of me, you're going to get this and that and the other thing. And they want to keep you down, don't they? They want to keep you small and dependent. And, and depended upon them. They're not interested in setting you free. They want to keep you there because you're their power. Understand? Because of this attitude they have that the girl's the master and oh, you're the slave and you must do what the big daddy says or you will get punished. Your spiritual life will go into the toilet and you will <laughs> throw away your whole lifetime and all the opportunities for moksha you compromised because you didn't do what the girl wanted. <coughs> yeah. I'm dramatizing it, but actually that's the kind of psychology that's operating in most of this guru situations. So the guru, Ishwar, is your best friend. As long as you take it that way. Anyway, our... Um, well, what more is there? What, what more don't? What more do you need? Huh? Q and A. What's your What's your Q? No, I'll give you the A. <laughs> <laughs> Does anybody have any uh, questions about that? Arguments about that? 
discussion about that, about this idea of karma yoga as love of Ishwara and surrender to Ishwara? It's an appropriate use of your free will. The whole chapters two to chapter six of the, of the Bhagavad Gita are all about jiva and jiva's appropriate use of its free will. See, you, you, devotion to Ishwar is a choice. You, you're not obligated. There's no, you're not obligated to love God. There's no law that says you have to love God. But it's intelligent choice. In other words, you don't have to make that choice, but if you do make that choice, huh, it's an intelligent choice, assuming you want what you say you want. And what everyone says they want is freedom, isn't it? Does anybody not want freedom? Oh, see? Nobody raises their hand and says, no, I don't want freedom. I want I want to be I want to be bound. I want to be all tied up and 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 limited in every way by all these. Does anybody ever say that? Nobody ever says that. Everybody wants freedom. So so wouldn't you want huh, to get yourself in harmony with the powers that be, in other words, the what you depend upon, your life? Wouldn't you want to take care of your body properly? Wouldn't you want to, huh? Because your body's given by Ishwar and it's run by dharmas. This is why the scripture tells about body dharmas, how to, how to treat your body, what you should eat, what you shouldn't eat, how you sleep, alcohol, drugs, sex, all that stuff is all regulated by the scripture. Ishwara says, this is how you take care of your body, how you make love. It's, it's, there's a sutra called Kama Sutra that tells you how to make love, how to do pleasure, how to do all these things is all there in the scriptures. The Dharma Shastras, the Shastras on Dharma. Oh, that's what we haven't covered. We haven't covered the Dharma topic yet. Totally. We've explained Dharma a little bit. But we need to talk about the three kinds of Dharma. Maybe we'll do that tomorrow before we move on to Jnana Yoga. Because we can't talk about Karma Yoga without talking about Dharma Yoga. Because Karma takes place in the field of Dharma.